Welcome to the first episode of Necronomenom, a film review podcast focusing on horror and cult films. My name is Matt. And my name is Jenna. Today we're going to be talking about The Hateful Eight, which is Quentin Tarantino's new film. Mm-hmm. It is about eight people who get stuck together by happenstance, mm-hmm. and they're all kind of bad people. Hateful people. Hateful, if you will. <laughs> So yeah, it's the eighth film by Quentin Tarantino. It's called The Hateful Eight. Uh, oh, so many eights in this movie. Yeah. Maybe it's a reflection. He feels it's a reflection on his films. I don't know. Eight? Hateful. Oh. <laughs> we were fortunate enough to be invited along to the Sydney premiere, which was part of the, the roadshow event for The Hateful Eight. Um, this film was shot uh, on 65mm film. And we saw it projected on on seventy mil, so we saw the the full uh, ultra wide, double the size of a normal film presentation, and it was pretty impressive. It looked looked really pretty. How did you feel about that? Actually, like, um, do you think it was used to its full potential? <laughs> I thought uh, it's mostly my expectations. Probably, I was expecting because this is a western, and because they got the old they got the lenses out of of from Panavision, and yeah, they were uh, used on Ben Hur. Yeah, they got all, exactly. It was all this old equipment that was used to shoot all these epics, and I thought, okay, cool. It's going to be a western. We're going to see a lot of sweeping, you know, landscape shots, uh, and there were some at the start, but it was all shot in in uh, Wyoming in in the snow. Yeah, um, so even the ones where there were these big landscapes were just snowy trees and snowy mountains, so nothing looked that different. Yeah, it was very white. Uh, I mean, it looked beautiful. It was just it wasn't what I was expecting. And then after that, ninety five percent of the film took place inside one room of a cabin like a large room yeah which was cool because with with the wide angle you could see most of the cabin at one time and you could see Mm -hmm. what characters were doing kind of in the background but i don't feel like it was used as well as it could have been because there wasn't too much going on in the background yeah there's a lot of attention to detail i felt uh, and I would like to watch it again for that reason, because this, I mean, there's things like props and things that are that are placed a certain way uh, that becomes relevant later, and I think that's interesting. And I think the wide angle probably does al- does allow you to see more of that stuff and appreciate it a bit more. Uh, so I would like to see it again because of that. Uh, it, it looked, I mean, it was very pretty, like the the you know the resolution and the the, the sh- cinematography was all very, very good. Yeah, the set design was really good as well. Yeah, it was very pretty. I, I didn't expect it to all take place inside one room just because of the expectation. I mean, I took all that in with me, I suppose. I was I assumed there would be a lot of outdoor shots, you know? Mm-hmm. And there weren't. There were there were some, but they, were, they weren't. They were all blinding white. Yeah, again, very pretty, but it wasn't what I was expecting. I thought the uh, the cast were all really good. See, I feel like Samuel L. Jackson just kind of played the same character that he plays in Tarantino films. And the same with Kurt Russell, really. Uh, both <laughs> of them, they're used quite often in Tarantino's films. Sure. As are uh, most of the other ones as well. <laughs> yeah. Michael Madsen and Tim Roth. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason, though. I thought they were all very good at the role. But yeah, I guess it is, it is stuff we've seen them do before. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of takes you out of the film because 
You don't see them as characters. You just see them as one of Tarantino's little guys. Sure. I mean, I always see Kurt Russell as Kurt Russell, no matter what he's in. But yeah. I still appreciate him. I still think he's yep. good. Um, Samuel Biscuit, L. Jackson. Yes, yeah, he's Snake Plissken <laughs> in everything. Yeah. He's, for some reason, he's taken his eye patch off, but it's the same yeah, guy. Yeah, it's a miracle he can see. Yeah, and he's traveled back in time several hundred years from, um, from New York. But <laughs> Escape from time. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson, I think, is mesmerizing as usual. Um, when he gets on a roll and he, I think he, because because of Pulp Fiction and, and the other roles that he's played, he embodies Tarantino's dialogue very well. Like, he's the only one that I don't feel like I'm watching Tarantino dialogue when he speaks because it just seems natural. Like, he's the only one where, where that kind of verbose language sounds normal because i'm used to that coming out of his mouth does that make sense yeah i feel like you know sometimes like a tarantino film the dialogue is tarantino style it doesn't feel natural are dialogue yeah but it doesn't feel like natural dialogue it feels like you're watching a tarantino film at least to me yeah they usually kind of get across some kind of issue that tarantino has at the moment right or something he wants to discuss so he does it through his characters Exactly. And I felt like, again, in this one, Sam Jackson, it was the only one that when he talks, it just seemed like, oh, Sam Jackson's talking. Like, not, oh, it's a Tarantino character talking. He's very commanding. Um, I definitely think that he was the main character of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, main character, but still not a good guy. None of them were good guys. No, none of them. I really, really enjoyed Walton Goggins in this. And I... When I saw him at the start, I don't know what else I've seen him in, but for some reason I always thought of him as kind of a goofy B-grade kind of actor, and I apologize, Bolton, if you're listening. He's not. But when I saw him in this, I, th- I thought he was great. At the start, he was kind of goofy. I, th- I still think he is goofy. He's just so small that he doesn't really fill the shoes of that role. I don't know. I thought he was really good, I, especially towards the end. I'm not going to talk about spoilers, but well, not yet. We will later on. Um, but yeah, I thought he was really good. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that, um, Jennifer Jason Lee did a really good job. Yeah, she was great. She was, she was terrific because I hated her so much. (laughs) Yeah, she was, you felt sorry for her at first, but then, but then later on it was just kind of, she was just as awful as the rest of them. Exactly. I don't even care what her crime was. She was just horrible. (laughs) Exactly. Well, they all were. That's. That's the funny thing is no one's very likable, but I guess you you do end up rooting for... I ended up rooting for Sam Jackson at the end. But then I think about when I thought about it afterwards. Well, I think that um, Bruce Dern is actually the least hateful character, and he's the one who's like, <laughs> right. he's bring the Confederate back the general. slaves. Yeah, he's the Confederate general. <laughs> yeah, he's a racist, but he, he's kind of... He's the only one who's not a complete Because dick. he's old, he's mellowed out. Right. Yeah, uh, Madsen was good, I thought. I, f- I thought his costuming was kind of goofy at first, but then I thought about it, and I'm like, for all I know, that's what they wore. I have no idea. Yeah, some of it, I thought, didn't seem too authentic to me. It just seems like um, like a recreation of sure. that time period rather than clothing that I would have actually worn in that time period. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not Like I'm no a reenactment expert. soldier, maybe? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm no expert on... on you know what they used to wear back then, but he he looked like a uh, kind of a character from a John Wayne film, which I it could be either because I think Tarantino would either 
throw in that intentionally as a reference to the old westerns or it could be actually what they wore i i don't know he is very good at that trying to embody the spirit of the films he's yeah he's paying homage to yeah, yeah because the whole like this was a spectacle it oh, wasn't yeah. it wasn't just the film he had a western composer brought in western yep. composer a composer of western films brought in <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and he created the whole the overture and the intermission. Yeah, yeah. It felt like an old film. Yeah. So if you get the chance to see this in the in the roadshow presentation, the seventy mil, all that jazz, uh, I definitely recommend you do it. You get yeah, like as you said, there's the overture at the beginning where the, you hear the music with the title card up, uh, and then there's an intermission, and it's it's yeah, it feels like uh, it feels like a an old movie kind of. But um, but it's it's new. <laughs> yeah, and for us especially, I mean, we saw it with some of the actors and Tarantino. Oh yeah, sitting a few rows behind us. Yeah, so it it made the whole thing even more exciting. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a good experience. I don't know if everybody's going to be able to. Um... No, probably not. <laughs> we, they did have. If you're in Sydney, uh, it's screening at the Orpheum, and they did have uh, sessions where they were present as well there. So, By the time this goes up, I think they'll be back in America. Yeah, yeah. But apparently they've been surprising people at, at screenings. Yeah, Samuel L. So. Jackson and Quentin Tarantino have. Yeah. So, uh, Kurt Russell was at our showing as well, but yeah. I don't know if he's been doing that. Well, cross your fingers, listeners, and uh, and, and see. Oh, and I can't even imagine if I, if I didn't know they were there and I sat <laughs> down next to Kurt Russell. Yeah. It'd be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, but what would you say? I would make him wear the eye patch. <laughs> you would make him. You do you carry one? <laughs> yes, this, just in case. Please, but... Kurt, put this on. Yeah, right. Uh, I thought Tim Roth. Uh, the only my my little nitpick was that I for some reason I wasn't keen on his his posh accent. Um, when he did his little posh accent, I, I liked it. I I mean, it made me laugh, but I. Didn't think it was believable. I don't know why. See, I liked it. He had the curly mustache to go with it. and <laughs> Yeah. It suited him. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, it was a little nitpick. I just, I don't know. I'm funny with English accents for some reason. When I think someone's faking an accent, a British accent, I, like I know he has one in real life, but I don't think it's that one. And so, <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird little thing that I have. So, Matt, you listen to a lot of soundtracks. I do. How did you feel about this one? <laughs> uh, it was great. I hadn't listened to it beforehand. Uh, I knew that he had brought back... Um, you know, I've forgotten his name already. Uh, Ennio Morricone? Yeah, that's that's the one. Ding! Mm-hmm. Um, I knew... Because he did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and, and a lot of old... Well, not old, but a lot of older westerns. And I knew that he had brought him in, but I hadn't heard it yet. And then when the overture started at the beginning and they you heard the theme and everything, I was like, ooh, this is nice. And yeah, I thought the score in general was spot on. It was really, really good. It was very atmospheric. It really captured the tone yeah, of the film. Definitely. It fit the mood really well. Yeah. It was really the tense scenes that you noticed it. Sure. And the other ones that I didn't notice it as much. Yeah, well you're not supposed Which, to. Exactly. Yeah. Uh there's times when you are and times when you aren't. If it serves the scene. And mm-hmm. I thought yeah, it did. It was kind of it was spot on when it was, when it needed to be there it was there and and then otherwise it kind of was there in the back and it was very memorable yeah it's it's on I've got a Spotify playlist with it in now it's uh it's a good one so yeah definitely uh, definitely a fan of the score mm. did you like this film I did I'm not 
a big Tarantino fan uh, in general. Um, I enjoyed Pulp Fiction. I'm not sure I would enjoy Pulp Fiction now because mm-hmm. it's not as kind of revolutionary as it was. Or not revolutionary, but as interesting as it was because he's made a lot of films and a lot of people have kind of mimicked his style. Yep. Um, I didn't like uh, I didn't like Kill Bill at all, either of them. Uh, I did like Django. I enjoyed Django. So that's I was excited to see this because it's another Western. And yep. I did enjoy this. So you were a hard sell and you liked it. That's pretty good. Yeah, I felt like uh, the beginning was very strong. I think after the intermission, when we saw it, Mm -hmm. uh, so the the last hour or so, I felt was weaker. Um, And I'll talk. I can talk more about why when we get into spoilers. But yeah, I kind of flip flopped. I liked it. I wasn't sure. I really liked it. And then when it ended, I had to think about it. (laughs) I did like it (laughs) overall. (laughs) I did enjoy it. And. you still like and it I now? I would recommend it, but I do have some issues with it. Okay. All right, well, uh, let's get into Spoilerville. Yeah, go see it uh, if you haven't. It definitely, I mean, it's the kind of film that you should try and see in the cinema. Um, see the roadshow. You get a little program and everything as well, which we've got here. Uh, it's a nice little thing. It's a, it's, a cool, it's a cool little event. And like I said, it's a good, it's an enjoyable film. So uh, definitely do that if you can. Mm-hmm. Let's head down to Spoiler Town. Mm, spoilers. <laughs> it's time for some spoilers. <laughs> um, but seriously, we're going to talk about spoilers. So if you haven't watched this movie yet, turn the podcast off now. I mean, as far as the plot goes, I, I, I said before that I felt the ending was weak. It's mostly just because it seemed like in the first two hours, everybody had something interesting going on and, and there were all these kind of subplots and there was this kind of... It's more going on, and then it kind of devolved into everybody just trying to kill each other. Yeah, I felt like they built it up to be this really cool mystery, kind of yes. detective-y. Exactly. Almost. And mm-hmm. from when it starts out, everybody is kind of... They don't know each other personally, but they're all very notorious. So they mm-hmm. know they've heard of each other. Yes. And they're all sort of interconnected. Mm-hmm. And you find mm-hmm. out that there's kind of a secret. Yes. I really wanted to know what, like, what was the thing that was connecting them. Right. And there was a bit after intermission where it kind of turned into this cool deduction scene mm-hmm. and then just kind of didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I felt like they solved the mystery pretty quickly. But like, did they? Because, I mean, we're spoilers here. Who did poison the coffee? That was, um, that was... Yeah. Hang on, no, 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 no. They did reveal that. They did revealed they? that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. It um, was one of the four guys. <laughs> I, don't re- I don't remember, but no, they definitely did. Yeah, it was one of the because they're all there with Chatham Tating, who's hiding downstairs. Yeah, he's hiding and, downstairs. Oh, who oh. I forgot was in the movie until you, he yeah, showed up again. They should not have put his name in the opening credits. Yeah, because well, I mean, it didn't matter because I, I remember I saw his name in the opening credits, and I I remember I poked you and I was like <laughs> Channing Tatum's in this uh, or Shannon Tating Channing Tatum and what's his name <laughs> yeah I um I saw that he was in it uh and then forgot that he was in it until he showed up again and I was like oh that's right he's in it yeah but it is a bit of a giveaway yeah sure yeah he's and not in the um he's not in the cast listing in in the program no actually but- which is kind of like they wanted to hide it but then He's yeah, but then the... put his name first up in the credits. Yes. It was 
kind of a cameo anyway. They went through this sure. whole thing to introduce this new character and then immediately shot him. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I know he had a good scene in the setup. He had some good. He did have some good stuff. You know, they. Yep. They did a. They do a flashback to show you them setting everything up for the, for later on when they're going to try and rescue um, Daisy, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character, who's his sister, uh, and that was one of the other things that I thought was weird. Um, like who after is this inter- gang, and why do they care so much about this? No, guy's no, no. Sister? There was the after the intermission. There was the. Um, they kind of brought you up to speed by Tarantino himself giving this kind of voiceover explaining what you had seen before the intermission. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then he revealed uh, the extra detail about the poison in the coffee. And I was like, oh, why couldn't you just have shown us that? No, I liked the way he did it. Because it was... Because before the intermission, it wasn't really as much of a mystery and you were focusing on what was happening between uh, Samuel Jackson's character and Bruce Dern's character, I I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. And then after the intermission, suddenly it was like, what you didn't see was that somebody was poisoning them coffee. And I thought that was pretty cool. Cause I'm like, wow, this is going to be a great mystery. And then immediately everyone just died. Yeah, I know. I just, uh, the, the voiceover aspect of it was weird because there weren't any other voiceovers. It was all of a sudden it was this voiceover and it was like, okay, cool. It's just a catch up. And then, but then it did the extra little thing of saying, oh, and also here's another thing that you didn't see. And yeah. I was like, oh, I know that that kind of felt odd to me, and then, but I mean, it was fine. It was just a bit odd. But then later on, there's another voiceover that he does where he just tells you what you're already looking at. He's like, they put the horses in the barn, and then they covered the the chair with the you know with the thing so you couldn't see the blood. And yeah. he's just kind of narrating what's happening. And then it, I don't know. It felt like it was unnecessary. Put, uh, I put one voice server in. I better put another one in or something. I don't know. It's No, I agree it's... with you on that one. I did like the the one after intermission, but the second one was not needed. Yeah, unless it's a trope from the old westerns that I'm not aware of, in which which again wouldn't surprise me if he did something like that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm do they do that, you know, in in the old ones after the intermission? Maybe like, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't <laughs> Yeah. Westerns aren't really my... <laughs> yeah. Because on the one hand, I mean, I'm sure he, he knows what he's doing. I mean, there must be a reason that he did it. Like, he's not the kind of guy, it seems like, he's not the kind of guy who would make a decision like that without deciding. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he went through a whole lot of effort to get, you know, the composer and the cameras and all that to just right. get a minor he, detail. Or... He wouldn't just slap a voiceover on mm-hmm. and then be like, oh, yeah, it's fine, I guess. Like, some thought... Went into everything in yeah. this, so yeah. yeah. I maybe I just maybe I just missed what that was, like why that was there. The point of the story, though, I'm not sure that I get, or maybe not the point, but like, yeah. What what that, is the conclusion of that story? Just everyone's they dead all, now. Yeah, I don't. That's why. I, that's what I meant when I said like I felt like there was so much story going on in the first two hours, and then it just ended up. A in, shootout. Yeah, no, everyone's character. All the interesting stuff about everyone's characters was kind of irrelevant because they all died. Like, yeah, and I know. I mean, that's that's his thing, I guess. But even um, even the two at the end, who you don't see them die, but uh, mm. I mean, they do. Oh, we. I you assume, can assume that they do. They do. Yeah. I was kind of hoping they didn't because otherwise, that's that's just it. Pretty brutal. Just ending, everybody's actually, dead. Now that I think about it. 
the way they deal with Daisy at the end is pretty brutal. Yeah. And I, I found actually a, a lot of the violence in this... It's very aesthetically pleasing. Like, a lot of the times I would laugh and then I would go, oh, actually, that was maybe unnecessary. Yeah, there was a bit where I think somebody was already dead and then he shot him in the head and his head <laughs> yeah, exploded. Yeah, uh, everybody laughed. And then afterwards I was like, I laughed as well. And then afterwards I was like, that was unnecessary. Yeah, it's it's very brutal, but it is... Yeah. It is shown in a way that's quite beautiful. <laughs> sure, yeah, I know what you I don't know what you mean. Like the it's, colors are bright and Yeah. It's done well, but then when you think about it, it's it's gross. It balances the line between comedy and and horror in a way. Mm-hmm. That's why this film maybe seems like an odd choice for us to do as the first episode of our horror podcast, but it, there is some stuff in here that's horrific and uh and it's very violent and and bloody. And Quite like every other Tarantino movie. Ex- exactly. Yeah, we, we, it was a pretty safe bet that we could get by on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, I really enjoyed it. Oh, the other thing that I thought I questioned, and I've done, we did some fact-checking, and it seems like maybe this checks out, but it's still questionable, is the, the New Zealand accent and then the... That's right! <laughs> the girl from Auckland. Because I was, as I was watching it, she rocked up and I was like, oh, they didn't ask her to change her accent. And then she says... And then somebody asks her, where is she from? And she says, Auckland. This takes place just after the Civil War. And we looked at dates. Yeah, I, I mean, Auckland... New Zealand had been founded, what, 40 years before? Yeah, Auckland existed at that time. Oh. I just... I, it was just the accent made me kind of go, they had, an, they had the accent already? They had an accent and she had already moved away from there? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and she kept her accent. The the country existed for for 30 40 years and she grew up there, got the accent and then moved. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. But that's what I mean that some things felt inauthentic. Yeah, and I I'm sure his answer to that would be I don't care. And then there's the whole <laughs> scene um where Samuel Jackson is trying to provoke the Confederate soldier. Yeah. Sandy Smithers. He uses these terms that I d- I don't think would have been used at that time. And even the story itself, it seems more modern. Like, it's oh, very, yeah, yeah. I made him suck my dick and my dingus. Yeah, it's very over the top. I mean, but but it's Tarantino, so he's got to... He's got to put a dick in there somewhere. It's got to be It's got to be Tarantino while it's being, you know, a period piece as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very extreme. And I felt like, I mean, I, I was surprised he didn't, shoot him try and shoot him sooner you know what i mean like if i was bruce dern i felt i feel like he could have just said that he killed his son and that would have been enough but it kept going and going and getting worse and worse and i was like when is this guy gonna react yeah so but you know what that's probably the point no i did like that the whole intention of it was just so he could shoot him yeah and it was very tense and effective and i remember because i was thinking man sam jackson's a badass yeah (laughs) During that whole scene. But I, yeah, it was a little over the top. I was quite disappointed that Kurt Russell was the first to die. <laughs> yeah, no, so was I. Because I really liked him. Yeah. I think maybe he wasn't so bad of a character either. So hateful. No, probably not. Because he, he was um, really the most... Well, I don't know if it's honor or if it's even more brutal that he wanted to hang people and give them a trial than just shoot them outright. Yeah, but I mean, he was—he wasn't treating her in a, in a particularly no. friendly manner. So maybe that was just life back then, you know. <laughs> he got punched in the face a lot. 
so did she. So yeah, that's um, that's the hateful eight. A big thank you to Village Roadshow for having us along to the premiere. We really appreciate it. I would suggest you go out and see it. Yeah, definitely. In 70 mil if you can. If you're in Sydney, I believe the uh, the Orpheum is showing it in 70 mil. In a limited release. Yeah, so uh, try and check that out. And if you're in the US, uh, I don't know all the places. Because yeah, I live in Sydney. Probably a lot more. So I, I don't know. Yeah, probably a lot more. And if you can, try to see it with Tarantino sitting a few rows behind <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, it's not at all distracting to hear Samuel L. Jackson talking about how he forced a man to suck his own dick as he sits behind you. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you by Fiverr. If you go to multiplenerdgasm.com slash Fiverr, that'll take you over to their site and you can get a bunch of cool stuff done for five bucks. Bargain. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. That's a really, really helpful way to get more people listening. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at necronominom at multiplenerdgasm.com. If you're not sure of the spelling of that, go to multiplenerdgasm.com and look it up. (laughs) 